This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. And good afternoon. My name is Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Left vs. Right on 77 WABC Radio. I am on the left. Curtis Lee will be joining us in the 3 o'clock hour on the right. Maybe not much of a slugfest. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a day to be taking it easy, enjoying the out-of-doors. If you are out washing your car or driving someplace, thank you so much for joining in. Great opportunity for me once again to be on the radio. I'm still learning my way. For those of you who have been tuning in week after week, I'm really grateful. Many more of you, not only to my program, but and to Curtis's my program, but also to all the programming here in 77 WABC under the leadership of John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and the team here. Station's doing great. People are listening in, and it's really great. If you'd like to get in the queue to be part of this conversation, this program doesn't work without you. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, this was a week that began frankly, with abject sadness. Uh, It's a really tough week for New Yorkers. For those of you who don't live in the region, you probably have heard about the passing of firefighter Timothy Klein, a member of of Ladder Company 170. He and his family lived in my former district of Bell Harbor, was laid to rest yesterday. Uh, What can you really say? I mean, there are very few jobs that are like being a firefighter. Uh, You know, if you every time you see one of these surveys of the most respected businesses to be in. Uh, My former business of politician does not rank near the top, but every time firefighter is near the top. It is one of those things when I walk past the firehouses, one on our block on on 14th Street, I always make a point of pointing it out to to Jordan. And Timothy Klein was the embodiment of that. You know, not long ago, he was giving a eulogy for one of his brothers. And there we were, we were laying him to rest um, yesterday and our prayers are with him and his family. It is a very difficult time for our city. When we lose one, it brings us all together. Um, and then on a much lighter and much more uplifting note, uh, the Mets yesterday with the most unlikely of no-hitters. I'm wearing my New York Mets hoodie today. Now, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that you know DeGrom threw a no-hitter or Scherzer threw a no-hitter, I would probably say, yeah, that's I, I would, could totally see that. DeGrom, arguably the best pitcher in the history of baseball, and Scherzer hasn't, I don't think, the, the, I can't remember the last time he took the mound for his team and the team didn't win. But if you then said to me, well, no, but there's going to be a no-hitter and it's going to be Tyler McGill, Drew Smith, Jolay Rodriguez, Seth Lugo, and Edward Diaz piecing it together against one of the, the most high-powered offenses 
in the majors, I would have said never. Our weakness is our bullpen, but yesterday was our strength, and that was amazing. And just what we needed for those of us who are hockey fans or fans of the Islanders, more precisely. Yesterday was the last game of the season. The Rangers will be going to the playoffs next week, um, and uh, I begrudgingly wish them all the best luck. But it ended on a nice, a nice note. But um, this is this is station has been covering uh, the loss of Timothy Klein all week, and we continue to keep him in our prayers. Um, we're going to get into some interesting issues with Curtis when he comes in a little bit later. We're going to talk about this proposal to rename the Ed Koch Bridge, which has a little something to do with the thing I'm going to do my monologue about. We're, we might talk about the Disinformation Governance Board. It's going to be hard to do that conversation with a straight face. And then I'm going to ask a question that maybe some of the callers know the answer to. Today I got on the 101 Limited bus, and I uh, was wondering, what is the difference between a limited and an express there's obviously had to be some difference because I take the Second Avenue bus as Express, the Third Avenue bus is Limited. Maybe someone can call in at eight hundred eight four eight WABC and let me know about that or anything else we're going to be talking about. But you know, there was a lot of talk this week, and it might not have struck all of you. It was a frenzy in the media circles about the latest that is going to go on with Twitter, and I don't expect that many WABC listeners are heavy consumers of Twitter. And Twitter has this outside relevance because so many media people are into it. Uh, but now Elon Musk, the wealthiest person in, in the world, has stepped up and said he wants to buy it. And I have a thing or two to say about this and how it relates to the theme of our program here where we try to push off against the left and the right fringes and try to talk to the people in the middle who sometimes feel disengaged, sometimes feel silenced, who are partisan, have strong beliefs, but who sometimes find the debate getting hijacked from the fringes. And let me start out with a couple of things about Twitter. You know, first of all, this notion that Elon Musk is going to return free speech to to, to Twitter. Well, really, you know what I really should start with? I have a complicated relationship with Twitter. Um, uh, I haven't posted for years. There's still an account I have active at Rep Wiener if you want to go take a look at it. that. And uh, I used to use it when I was a member of Congress quite a bit. Now, this was early on, before 2011. And as many of you know, who know my story, because of something I accidentally posted on Twitter and then lied about, by the way, repeatedly, I had to resign in 2011. Um, and so uh, when I talk about Twitter and when people see Anthony Weiner talking about Twitter, they might say, boy, that isn't that ironic. But, you know, what I, I really haven't experienced it much during this period where it's matured. And so when... When Musk comes in and says, I want to restore free speech to Twitter, we all know because we have common sense that there is not really such a thing as pure free speech anywhere. Um, whoever owns it, we're not going to want people to post on there the, about terrorism. We're not going to have terrorism plans. We don't want them to – to pe- people to be threatened when they're on there. We don't want police officers to have their home address posted on there. We don't want anti-Semites and racists. We don't want it to be a cesspool. We all believe that there should be some moderation, but we also believe that, you know, sometimes that moderation has gone too far. You know, we've had the really legitimate debates. I've said before, you know, I'm a bit of an expert on the Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden laptop. I pride myself on being that. And I can tell you, I thought that blocking the New York Post from social media platform, like from Twitter, was the wrong thing to do. Whatever you thought about the contents and whatever you think about it today, saying to a, a major publication, I think it's the oldest continually printed newspaper in the country, that's a mistake. 
but we have legitimate questions are going to come up when someone posts fake health information. Should it be on there when there are people just put out and out lies? Free speech is never complete and it always comes with some responsibility. So let me just say that out there. But here's my hot take on this. And we don't do hot takes on this. So I'm going to go deeper into it than just the top line. I think that whoever owns it, whether it's one one super wealthy guy, Elon Musk, or whether it's a bunch of fairly wealthy people, whatever the investors are, I think we should shut it down. I mean, just close it at this point, because I believe that as much as Musk might say that he wants Twitter to be a digital town square where matters, as he says, vital to the future of humanity are debated. Um, but not only has it failed to be that, but it's also ruining our real town squares. It's ruining our real sources of debate and conversation in this country. And I'll tell you why I think that. You know, First of all, anyone who spends any time on Twitter, and I still read it from time to time, particularly to prepare for this show because now I have to, I have to know the hot takes of both sides. But as I say, I don't post. You can feel free to go ahead and post and follow me on Rep Wiener. At some point, maybe I'll start posting again. Um, but like uh, the fringes dominate the debate. basically it's crazies on both sides. You have, I mean, think about it. If it were not for Twitter, would QAnon, would 9-11 being an inside job, would allegations of stolen elections, would Pizzagate, would these crazy things have any oxygen? And yet there they are right in the middle, dominating the conversations and dominating the posts. All you have to do is go look up Anthony Weiner's laptop and you see how much of that is going on. And it's not just on the right. You know, my, my, my party, my people are are as bad, but in a different way. You've got to be completely 100% pure on every subject or they descend upon you like a pack of wolves to take away your voice and sometimes to take away your job. Now, this did not happen to me. What happened to me on Twitter is I did something stupid. Twitter didn't bring me down. I brought me down. My addiction brought me down. And so let me separate me from that. But, you know, I mean – it's hard not to think of hundreds of examples, but I'll give you one. I don't know if you recall the, the example of this guy, David Shore. This guy was an academic. He was a liberal one for a progressive think tank. And in the early days of the protests over the, of the killing of George Floyd, he tweeted out research that he had found showing that violent protests of the 1960s led to electoral ramifications in the areas around those democratic counties, meaning – to, to put some context into what was going on in that moment. He was drummed out of a job. He lost his job for that quote. All he was saying was something that was what was provably true. He was just pointing it out for context. He was accused of being anti-black. He was accused of not being sufficiently woke, and he lost his job. Now, I don't want to dwell on this side of it either, but it turned out he was very right. If you look at the polling today about some of the problems with crime rising, it is in areas where there are heavy protests, including in New York City. But the point that I'm making is that Twitter right now is not this place that people are having conversations. And there is so much hostility and name calling and doxing of people going on. And frankly, the things that go on in that town square, the town square of Twitter, have made it very difficult for any politician, any policymaker, any academic to show up and have a legitimate conversation in the midst of all that that's going on. It's making it harder to have that conversation and not easier. And in fact, many of the things that go on on Twitter, this whole idea of – of uh, I mean we've all talked about this idea. We not all know the phrase confirmation bias. 
This idea that we're only open to information that reinforces what we believe. And sometimes, I will tell you, it goes on here on WABC. One of the reasons that when uh, that John Katzmatidis deserves enormous amount of credit is he says he wants to hear from other sides. He wants to hear both sides. When he has his top-rated show on every day, he always has a voice from the other side. And if you think about it, it really is what goes on in Twitter, and I know this is a hot phrase, kind of un-American. Because this confirmation bias is not the way we learn things. It's not the way we get better. It's not the way we developed as a country. John Stuart Mills once famously said, he who only knows his side of the case knows little of that. And what did he mean? What he meant was that if you only want to hear about your side of the case, you never learn the weaknesses in your side of the case. Your side of the case never gets any better. The people who silence and intimidate their critics make themselves stupider. I mean, think about our system. Think about what's, think about the American way of life. In, in, in courtrooms, we have two biased advocates, one on each side, and that's how we try to emerge the truth. We have that conflict of ideas. In education, if you're an academic, like my friend Catherine, and you, you put out a paper, what do you do? You put it out there into the world. And, and what do other academics do? They prey upon it. They come in there. They peer review it. And they give you the, their best take. And then very often, the author of the paper will return and make changes in response. If you're a newspaper in the United States, you're like a newspaper nowhere else. Now, newspapers have had a rough go of it. I get it. But they have fact-checking. They have editors. If you're a reporter and you only get one side of the story, your editor will send you back and get the other side of the story. And the article winds up being better. And, of course, the greatest expression of this conflict of ideas being a good thing is government. I mean, the Lincoln-Douglas debates get used as an example of everything, you know, seven, three-hour debates. But what people sometimes lose sight of is the thing that they were debating was slavery and its impact on on the country and the ethics of it. I mean, (laughs) not to open a kettle of worms, they were talking about critical race theory. They were talking about what is the meaning of slavery in our country and should it be expanded? Should Should it be eliminated? They were dealing with the toughest of tough issues, And both Lincoln and Douglas said they learned during those debates and became better going forward. And it clearly, it clearly influenced our country in a positive way because of the president that Lincoln became. Those were Senate debates, but the president that he became. So not only does this debate not help on Twitter, but it is made impossible for present day politicians to do the types of things they need to do to make good policy. I mean – We don't have an ability now for people in the middle. I was a very progressive member of Congress, I think. I advocate – I was the leading advocate for single-payer health care. I was out there every single day. But I, in today's political world, would be somewhere to the right. (laughs) I would be a right-leaning Democrat by – just not because I've moved all that much. And the same is true for Republicans. Where do you think Ronald Reagan would be on the continuum today? And so when Twitter says they want to be – the town square, the digital town square, I say no. I say we need to do more to build up the real town square. We need to more to help school boards so they don't become purity tests, to allow college debates to be just that, debates with two sides, not people protesting and canceling them before they even begin. Congressional town hall meetings can't just be reduced to 15-second Twitter posts of the member of Congress saying something that maybe he inartfully said. They should be places that people feel safe going. This Twitter effect, 
and maybe it's oversimplified, there's a lot of things going on, is not the kind of thing that we want to expand, not the kind of thing that we want to tweak at the edges at the whims of a billionaire. This is the kind of thing that we need to think about getting rid of so we can return to having the real types of conversation, the substantive types of conversation that made our country great and are going to make it continue to be great. So that's my little <laughs> riff about Twitter. I would love to hear what you have to think. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-922. This is Left versus Right. Curtis Lee was joining us at the top of the hour. I guess I should say my Twitter handle is at Rep Wiener. I think my Facebook is Anthony D. Wiener, but I'm not 100% sure of that. See you on the other side. We're going to pick up on more of these issues and also about the disinformation jurisdiction. I don't even know what it's called. We'll see you on the other side. Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. I'm on the left. Curtis Lewa on the right. Uh, you know. Curtis is coming in at the top of the hour. We have to do something about the name of this program. I mean, this left versus right thing doesn't really work out. Uh, and I just got done doing this whole riff about how our problem is that we are see each other being one corner or the other. Well, not on this program. 800-848-WABC to join the conversation. It's great to have you along on this beautiful day. 800-848-9222. Uh, Curtis is going to be in at the top of the hour. We're going to talk a little bit about... This proposal to rename the Ed Koch Bridge. And um, someone still has to let me know the difference between a limited and an express bus. It doesn't seem to make any difference. We, you know, as a matter of fact, the bus driver, when I asked him, you know, because I usually don't take the bus, I said, does it, you know, where does it stop on this? And he said, well, this is an express um, and it stops not far from the beautiful studios here on Third Avenue. But there must be some, there must be a bus driver out there who can call in to let me know or some transit buff. And we're also going to talk a little about this disinformation governance board, which people have been having a lot of fun with, um, uh, particularly on the right. And I think some of us on the left have been holding our head and banging it against the table because another seemingly unforced error. Um, but let me tell you a little bit, you know, this disinformation governance thing, we're going to talk about that when Curtis uh, joins us at the top of the hour but this does raise something that I didn't talk about, another danger of social media. And, and I'm singling out Twitter. I mean, Facebook arguably is the same way in many regards. These places that promote heavily conflict because that's the algorithm. That's what the algorithm demands. Conflict, 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 conflict. And it's true on, on, on Facebook. It's true on other social media platforms. But Twitter is particularly prone to it and it's been in the news. But something to re- remember, and I didn't even mention this, is that it's used by foreign by foreign governments to influence our debate. I mean, the 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 Russians used it to attack us in 2016. That is not even a question of fact anymore. It's been it was borne out by the by the Trump uh, intelligence community. Um, we we know that the Chinese have used Twitter and used uh, WeChat to try to put down oppression. Um, to, to try to uh, 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 put down um, insurgencies in their country using social media. 
And we ourselves are under attack when when the Russians used social media, Facebook in particular, but Twitter as well, to influence our elections. What did they do? They posted content on all different sides of arguments, but they did it aiming at inspiring people's passions and anger at their neighbors. That's what they did. They realized they found our soft spot. They found race inequity as our soft spot and went right there at it and attacked us using hundreds and hundreds of posts on Facebook to get people. They they posted about fake events that were going on. They posted about fake news items. These social media things don't allow us to sort those things out. You know, the Russians don't have to, you know, hire a bunch of spies, train them up, teach them English, get rid of their accents and then sneak them into the country to influence us anymore. That's not the way. It's not loose lips sink ships anymore that people are going to be overheard saying something. Now it's these social media platforms. And and let's let's remember that if you are truly concerned about debates in the public square, think about the difference that a debate would be like in a, in the public square as it compared to where it is now on social media. No one no one would um no one – and by the way, I should give out the number again because nothing's up on uh, – uh, oh, my board is down, I, I guess. But um, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, if you had a debate in public square and someone came running in in the middle of a conversation about, say, anything, uh, you know, you're having a conversation about transportation policy, about healthcare policy, and they yelled at the top of their young some conspiracy about, about QAnon. Most of the crowd, most of the people there would would move them aside, would say, "Okay, we want to have our conversation over here. But on social media, that doesn't happen. The opposite happens. The people in the middle, the people who are concerned about being docs, the people are concerned about being, you know, um, you know, driven and, you know, being being canceled. Those are the people that that wind up absenting themselves from the conversation. So. If there is if if there is a notion that our public debate is is somehow getting improved by having these voices, that's not the way it's working out. It certainly isn't. And if anything, if it's if if, if anything, the um, the conversation is getting completely stunted. Um, it's getting shortened. It's getting and people are being driven uh, driven off off of their um, uh, uh, um, off of their their own soapboxes. And let me say one one other final thing because I, I think I think some of the callers may may may, uh, may say it. Um, there's a lot of value to being able to bypass government and to be able to just organize online, to be able to organize protests, to be able to speak your mind, to not having to go through the mediation of of, of an editor, um, to not um, to, to to not have to rely upon a reporter. Uh, there's a lot of benefit to that. I see that. However, that's now gotten out of control. Now it's reached a point where um, where you really can't say anything that departs from the orthodoxy of your own side without having yourself be um, ostracized. And that's the challenge we face. So that's the conversation today on 77 WBC on left versus right, as I mentioned. Curtis is uh, on his way in. They're trying to get my board operating so I can see who are on all these these phone lines. It is really great um, to be here today. Curtis and I are going to be talking about some of the subjects. Also, Curtis, I have a feeling I'm going to have to listen to him again about something that recently happened on a broadcast of a Met game um, that, uh, that frankly I, – I'm, I look, I, it makes me smile. It makes – Curtis smile, but if we have to hear about it every single time this joke is made, he's going to tell us what it is. 
Uh, we have uh, the board is back up and working. Our first call today is uh, from George in Rockland County. George, go ahead. Sorry to keep you waiting, my friend. Hey, hi. How are you doing, Anthony? Okay. I'm doing well, so, George. Listen, okay. I'm listening to you. I don't know how much time you're going to give me, okay, uh, when will you cut me. But I think you're kind of a, a genius to some extent here, okay? Uh, you are 100% totally Democrat, okay, which is fine here, okay? But you are continuously putting the democratic narrative, okay? There's nothing wrong with this uh, uh, Democrats in New York State. There's nothing wrong with Democrats in Washington. Everything is great. The Republicans are bad. Trump is bad. Everything on the other side is terrible, okay? And that's how you come across. George, 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 I, I, that's just not fair. You know, you can go and look at WABCRadio.com and any podcast uh, platform that you use and go, go listen to, to the way I've discussed it. In matter of fact, I get, I, I've been criticized on the other side. I, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Richard disagrees. R- Richard and Fort Lee, you're next up today. Yes, uh, Mr. Weiner, I, I want to agree completely with you about the debating. I, I went to Horace Mann prep, and in the debating class, we would have to take each side and learn the facts. And this is how I believe the, the principles of free speech are really in, ingrained in that principle of learning both sides. Excellent reference to the Lincoln-Douglas debates. I just want to commend you on your, your approach, and I think the show could be called Centerline. Because ah, what you, I think, and, and, and Curtis do is they both look at the common sense aspect, and that helps unite people. And well, we I really appreciate it, Rich. So. I, I appreciate it. Centerline's okay. There was this, uh, this, this politician in Texas whose name escapes me right now. He said, the only thing in the middle of the road is yellow lines and dead possums. I, I don't necessarily believe it's necessary to be on the middle on things. I think people have strongly held views. But being open to other people's ideas as a way of improving your arguments – I am not as good at having debates as I was when I was in Congress, and I had to do them every single day. Uh, next up on WABC Talk Radio, uh, Hector in Staten Island. Go ahead, Hector. Great to have you aboard. Hi, Anthony. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. So um, it's interesting the comments that you were making about Twitter, uh, because no one seemed to be complaining about Twitter uh, when all of the things that have been going on previously um, you know, were, were not being uh, controlled by um, – someone like the per- person who uh, currently bought it. But I didn't really hear you say anything about the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos. Uh, I didn't hear you say anything about Facebook uh, and that owner and the role that he's played and the things that he's been doing. Um, you know, and I really think that social media has become as relevant as it has because the reality is the mainstream media has been negligent in its uh, job to really hold government accountable and instead has just become a mouthpiece for the left. Well, that's that. That's fair. I did mention Facebook when we came back from the right, when I from, from the break, where I mentioned the idea that this is a problem. This is a problem on Facebook. Arguably, it was a problem on Facebook first. Where I, the point is, these algorithms that social media produces, they produce content that people are inclined to already want to see first, and secondly, any conflict that they can generate from that. We're under attack. We're being. To, as far as the Bezos Washington Post thing, look, I don't have any problem. With, with people, with wealthy people investing in media. I, there's, we, we have one of the most successful businessmen in New York who owns this station and brought it back from, from the dead. I do have a little bit, this, this whole notion, this slightly overblown notion that we can't get our, you know, it's a left wing media, left wing media. 
The biggest cable news company in the world is Fox News by far. The most successful radio station, talk radio station in New York is 77 WABC. Hardly a bastion of liberals, myself excluded. This is a, this is a right-leaning uh, uh, station. Um, so I'm not sure I, I buy that. I am fine with with different voices owning different media things. I just think that social media has become very, very uh, toxic. Um, Miguel in Bergen County. Miguel, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Anthony. I want to start out just giving you a compliment. I think you would have been the mayor had that whole scandal not taken place and possibly a presidential uh, contender. But one, one of the things I want to tell you, Anthony, is you really sound like you're a smart guy. And I think you take this argument way ahead of what the public is listening to. You know your side's losing the argument. Now all of a sudden Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. He's going to own Twitter, and it's going to be free to pay. You're trying to mitigate the damage before that. Uh, but I, the way I see it, and I think I'm right. Well, you could be. Well, thank you for the compliment. I, I look. I, here's my take on the on the on on the changes you're going to see. Not many. I don't. I think what you're going to find, Elon Musk is still going to have to deal with the Chinese and their rules. He's still going to have to deal with the laws of the United States. He's still going to have to deal. We have examples of websites uh, of uh, social media platforms rather that don't have rules. They're crap. No one. No one wants that. The the people that are on Twitter who are loyal to Twitter. Are, are, are not going to tolerate it becoming a cesspool of unmitigated junk. So I don't think that Musk, Musk is a smart guy. I don't think it's going to change that much. I don't know if, if he, look, here's, I actually am optimistic about his ownership. I don't know why, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. He's a, he's a billionaire who's going to do things that are in his interest. And I think his interests are going to be having a successful thing. But if he's right about getting rid of these bots that, that, that meant for the uninitiated, you can pretty much make up a, a, a Twitter handle and not have any identity behind it. One of the things I think that would be helpful, and this is a controversial position, I know, is to is to on some level, if someone's going to spread and spew hate or spew stuff around, there should be a name, a real identity behind them. Maybe they can have an assumed name, but at least Twitter should know that they're real people. But this whole idea that that liberals are afraid of Musk, I don't for why? Because he's because he's going to let Donald Trump back on the platform. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world that he that he he was one of the many, many people, including people on the left, including people like me, who thought that blocking the, the New York Post story was a mistake. I think that was a mistake, too. But how, do you really think it's going to change much? You think does anyone really want to have a Twitter where people can go on to Twitter and post the home address of police officers that they're protesting against? Of course not. You're going to have mediation. You're going to have people who are going to have, whether it's Musk or anyone else, you're going to have people who are going to have to say there are lines that we don't want to cross. And and that's it. So as we go to the break, I finally got a call that is going to answer my burning question for, for today, I hope. Uh, Marcus in Far Rockaway. Marcus, are you a bus driver? I'm a retired bus driver. Tell me the difference between limited and express. Okay. I uh, hope I get this right. If not, somebody else is going to correct me. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, okay. Now, think of the buses. Now, you got these. Uh, you got to make it quick. Buses. We're heading up against the break, so make it quick, Marcus. Okay. You got the double buses. Those are generally limited, limited stop buses. And the express buses are the buses that look like the coach buses that come from the city. Taking people from the outer parts of the boroughs into Manhattan, into Midtown Manhattan. No, that's, that's a, no, that's an express. That's a, a, a select that's bus. That's an express bus. Yeah. I got on a limited. Thank you very much, Marcus. You, you, we're getting closer to the truth here. 
My bus was just a regular old-fashioned bus running along 3rd Avenue going all the way up, to, I think, to, New Am- to, to Amsterdam Avenue. And it just was kind of an express bus. Well, we'll figure it out. If not, when Curtis comes in at the top of the hour, we got a lot to cover with him and a lot more to talk. We're talking about Twitter today. We're talking about social media. And maybe we'll even talk about the Disinformation Governance Board. I'm so happy you're with me. See you on the other side. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back. Thank you very much for being with us on Left versus Right. Curtis will be joining us at the top of the hour. He has been kind to share this two-hour block with me, help me uh, get on my feet, and also uh, John Katzmatidis giving me an opportunity to try this out on my own. It's been a great learning experience. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about Musk. We're talking about Twitter, and we're going to get a little bit into this disinformation government board. Gover- I can't even say it. It's the worst idea. Um, one more text just, just came in from uh, uh, Brett, who says that he thinks the difference is between the limited and the express is the express buses, the blue ones you can get in and out in the back, and the limited it's just a regular, a regular metro card. It's it's not it's not clear, but we're we're going to get this worked out. You know you know who should know this, Curtis Lewa. He's known for subways, but he does buses as uh, as a hobby. Um, we're going to go back to the phones, 800-848-WABC. I want to remind you that WABCradio.com, you can get a uh, podcast version of this show and all the other shows. And also, wherever you find your podcast, it's a little hard to find, I have learned, for Apple. I believe if you search left versus right, you can find it. I know that works on Android. And also, I'm just going to put this out because it's the sh- we're doing a show on Twitter. My handle is at Rep Wiener. I haven't touched it in a while, but if you want to go look at what I used to say back when I used it. Um, we'll go back to the phones. Uh, Stefano, thank you for holding on. You're in the Bronx. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm can doing you well, thank okay? you. I can. Thank you. So, listen, like uh, like usual, by the time I get to the lines, I kind of forget the train of thought. <laughs> but, um, so, listen, I want to just say, so as, as, a, as a Democrat yourself, I understand that we will never see eye to eye on certain things. But I have to say I do appreciate you at least looking at the other side instead of being in complete denial and refusal all the time. But as far as uh, you were talking about Twitter, so, you know, when certain things are there, I mean, I understand that, you know, no one could commit political suicide and nobody wants to spend that kind of political capital on going after certain things. I get that. But we do have to state the obvious. I mean, it is so obvious what was going on on Facebook and all those when I, I did it as an experiment. And so I posted different things uh, with conservative views, and then I posted with more liberal views. And seven out of ten times, if I was using the right words with the conservative way, it was always getting flagged, always getting fact-checked, always getting – this never happened on the other side. So I wanted to see this experiment on my own, and I did it. But, I mean, I think that, hands down, I think anybody that, that navigates Facebook – had to have seen, had to have seen the absurdity with which anything that had to do with conservative or if it wasn't on the same page concerning COVID, it was getting all shut down. Where are these fact checkers now? Why aren't we? And, and you know that there's a lot of disinformation. I understand there's, you know, hey, listen, 
But even a broken clock is right twice a day. Even yeah. if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have to concede that even the opposite side can be right, like a clock, even a broken clock. Twice yeah. A day. No, I, I, Stephanie, you, you're right. And, and part of the problem here is there is no transparency on how these processes get done. Now, I, I, I literally don't know if you're, if you're right or not, because who would I ask, right? You only know the experience you had of putting in things that got blocked. It might be that Facebook, the pendulum swung the other way, that there was disinformation about COVID. There was disinformation about the campaign. And so those things were coming from one side of the political spectrum. And so they started cracking down on that. Now, I, I have to tell you though, that, 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 that at the end of the day, these companies, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they make money by getting people to share, like, and, and, and the sort. That type of thinking, though, their business model is to get us all agreeing with what we're seeing or outraged by what we're seeing. Anything that gets us to engage, they make money on. That's not good for democracy. Democracy should not work like that. Democracy should reward people who, you know what, do what you did in this call. Take a little step towards the middle, like what I tried to do earlier. Take a little step towards the middle. That kind of thing is so difficult for a politician, so difficult for a citizen nowadays. If you're someone on the left who might say something that is critical of AOC, for example, you get descended upon. If you're someone on the right who says, you know what, this election was not cooked, move on to other issues. We have so many good issues. You get descended upon. That should not be the way we have debates. And we're better than that as a people. And in other parts of our life, we were doing that. Not great. We've always had partisanship in this country, always. But even in the midst of partisanship, we were passing laws. We were meeting together in legislatures. We were having town hall meetings that weren't degrading into people yelling and shouting and turning off microphones. And I guess that's the point that I'm trying to make. I mean, you know, look, and and there is another side to this. You know, Dina texted and she reminded me that on Facebook that the government of Miramar did a genocide against the Rohingya refugees with the help of Facebook with the help of, of, of gathering up information from Facebook, of using Facebook to track down people, hunt them down, and kill them for their religious beliefs. I mean, these, these things, and these are businesses. These are, gov- these are businesses. Now, we expect government to answer all these questions, but the problem that we're having is that these social media platforms are degrading our ability to be able to have the important debates someplace else. When you get rewarded, for being a person who stands up on the floor of the Senate and says something completely outrageous to try to go viral. I don't know if we still have that cut of me doing it on the House floor. That was before doing things to become viral had been figured out. I accidentally became viral when I was fighting for the 9-11 health fund. So maybe it's ironic to hear me say this, or maybe you would even call it hypocritical. But if you have politicians that get rewarded for that and then get absolutely crushed for trying to solve problems with members of the other party. I mean, look, immigration, which we covered a couple of weeks ago on this program, and feel free to dial in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Immigration is a classic case. The solving of immigration problems is not that complicated from a legislative perspective. I laid it out a couple of weeks ago. You can go, go listen to it on podcast. Some things the Democrats have to give, some things Republicans have to give. The last time this gang of eight met, four Democrats and four Republicans, Every one of the Republicans wound up having a primary and one of them was going to run for president, wound up getting squashed because of his participation. That's the Twitter effect. I'm sorry. That's the Twitter effect. That's leading people to not even take these chances because social media 
um, has that kind of impact. And so we're going to talk about a little bit with Curtis, but this disinformation governance board, I admit I didn't know anything about this. I learned about the same time you did. I learned a lot about it listening to 77 WABC Talk Radio. A lot of the hosts here have been talking about it. I did a little bit of reading about it. It sounds like a crazy idea. Well, no, that's not true. The idea is right that the Department of Homeland Security, part of their job, part of their portfolio, it has been for years, is to try to monitor foreign interference in our government, try to monitor foreign interference in our election, trying to monitor what foreign uh, governments are doing as it relates to their access to the Internet and our infrastructure and things like that. Even when it comes to immigration, there are things – there's all kinds of fake websites out there encouraging people to come to the border with fake programs and coyotes that are trying to attract. So I kind of get the idea that there should be people at the Department of Homeland Security who are keeping an eye on what's going on out there to learn about possible threats, to learn about violations of law. I get it. The problem is two things. One, it's a stupid name. I mean, it's the disinformation governance. It sounds like you're governing the disinformation. It's a stupid name. Secondly, if you're going to do something like that, that cuts so close to what people's understanding are of the lines between government and the press, government and free speech, you better darn well go out there and not just fold it into a conversation that you're having during a congressional testimony that's on C-SPAN 3. You better go out and... Tell us exactly what it is you're trying to do. Tell us what the guardrails are around it. There's been a lot of joking about this. Nothing that I have seen says that they're trying to figure, you know, what's right and wrong on Twitter, like the subject we're talking about. I think they're trying to figure out national security things. But I have to tell you, I'm one that always tries to give the benefit of the doubt to government on both sides, you know, like. These are good, generally good people who are doing it for the right reasons. These very often 99.99% of government is run by bureaucrats and civil servants who devote their lives to their agencies. This one I really have no idea. Maybe Curtis, Curtis, I'm sure I'll have some, something funny to say about it. But as a Democrat who is already, we're going to have a tsunami in this coming midterm election. Do we really need another thing that sounds like, um, that, that just distracts from all the important things that we're doing? All right. Well, once again, bumping up against a break. Um, but before we do, we're still trying to get an answer to this quite frivolous question. It's just something I'm curious about. I got on a bus today that was a limited, and I also take the select bus service, the express, on the way home. And I don't can't tell the difference, but maybe George in Rockland County can. George, thank you for holding on. Do you have an answer to this mystery? Uh, I sure do. Okay. Excellent. It's quite simple. Okay. Uh, as the name state, limited stop means. A bus is it does not stop at all stops. Let's okay. say it does stop every um, every fifth stop or okay. so, and it generally stays within the same borough you are in. Okay. Okay. Express bus, on the other hand, is generally buses that come from outer borough into Manhattan. Okay, so they pick people at the outer borough and then they go nonstop into the designa- designated. Place, okay, and maybe they do a few stops there. That's it. That's but how's but what's the difference, George? Thank you. What is the difference though between the limited and the select bus? As the truth is, I couldn't answer you. Okay, I'm going based on my past experience. Quite a few years back, I don't. I never heard about the select bus. It could be the select bus is kind of a hybrid uh, between uh, you know between the two or between. 
is a local bus to the limited bus, okay? But I could definitely tell you, and you can ask the transit authority if you like, okay, what is the limited and what is express, and I just give well, you the answer. Well, when we I, get back... I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take it back. Thank you, Jai. When we get back, my friend Brett just cut and pasted from the MTA website, which I think has the answer to all our questions. And maybe what I'll do is I'll hold off and see if Curtis can answer this question. We're also going to talk about, on the other side, um, the renaming of the Ed Koch Bridge. And we're talking about Twitter, social media, 800-848-WABC. It's great to have you along on Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to Left versus Right. I am Anthony Weiner. I am nominally on the left, and Curtis Slewa on the right will be joining us at the top of the hour. Uh, this has been a great show so far, talking about Twitter, social media, the difference between left versus the difference between left and right. And we've also worked in a little conversation about the nuances of New York City bus service. It's great to have you along. If you'd like to join the conversation, 800-848-WABC, wabcradio.com. You could also stream it there. And you can always get this program as a podcast. Just search Left versus Right, Curtis and Anthony. You could also get it via the, the Red Apple uh, Podcast Network. So we're talking about Twitter. I've laid out my case for why. I wish it would just go away. Some people have made some good arguments that I'm just saying that because I'm afraid of Elon Musk. You know, I figured out that if you worked for, uh, if you were paid $100,000 a year, and you saved all of your money, you know how long it would take you to be as wealthy as Musk? You'd have to work for 1,670,000 years. So get to work on that. Uh, let's go back to the calls before we get to the top of the hour. Uh, Mike in New Hyde Park. Welcome aboard, Mike. Thanks for calling. What are you even doing on the air? I mean, people like you just don't go away. I watch C-SPAN fanatically. You were not a good debater. You were a screeching Maniac. That's all you were. You got attention. You were like the Elvis of Congress. What do you, why, why don't people like you just go away? Is that it? Is that the question? Do you hang on to ask that no, question? No, all right. No, good no, question. No, all right. I'm going to. No, no, no. There's no question. Oh. There's no question. I'm objecting to the fact that you're given a microphone to speak to millions of people. You, you have nothing to contribute to society. You've proven that time and time again. Why? It's like Jim Baker. And and uh, all these televangelists, people like you just don't uh, go away. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate your listening. I hope you keep on listening and call back again. Look, I don't. Uh, I am not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. My ex-wife, Huma, reminds me of that all the time. Uh, let's go to uh, Eric in Kew Gardens, my old district. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good, my friend. How are you? Thank God, doing okay. Good. Nice to hear your voice on the air. Nice surprise. Um, quick question. Uh, let's go back the uh, mayoral election. I can't remember what, what year it was exactly. You know better than me. Um, should have been you. Uh, de Blasio was a fluke. Let's let's play devil's advocate. 
Anthony Weiner was mayor for eight years. How different would New York City be right now? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, I have tried over the course of the last eight years not to be someone who, who, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, when I spoke to John Katsimatidis, the owner of this radio station, when he was bringing back WABC, he reached out early, much earlier. And I, I kind of didn't want to be one of these people that loses an election and then carps at the guy. I think I would have been different in a couple of different ways. You know, one, I would have leaned into the idea that um, I was not an ideologue, that if things if I was going to try to figure out a way to make things work, I was going to go into every community. I was not going to I don't believe you can be an ideological mayor. I think you have to be a mayor who understands that that we are a problem solving locality. We have to get stuff done for eight and a half million people. So that in one way, I, I never quite understood the way de Blasio brought ideology into every conversation. If, you know, education is a classic case, you know, this fight over charter schools. I, my position was, and continues to be, my mom, well, I went to public schools. My mom was a public school teacher for 30 something years. If you want to try charter schools, hey, bring it on. Let's give it a try. Let's try different things here. It didn't, in my view, threaten the outcome of the city in any way. When, you know, if if we were going to find a way to cut down on on crime and that mean getting more police officers into one community in response to the complaints, you know, sometimes you're going to have to take your lumps. But if, if the police officers were going out and doing thousands and thousands of stops and they weren't producing arrests, that meant that they weren't doing their job very well. And I was hard on that as well. I, I believe, you know, that, frankly, part of being a mayor showing up, showing up on time, showing up on time and not looking like you regret being there. A lot of the things that I think Eric Adams is doing pretty well at, I mean, despite the fact that we're going through some very tough times. But I don't well, I don't sit at home at night saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. I believe things happen for a reason. I believe in a higher power is protecting me. I believe in the, in the notion that, that people can have, can be of service in different types of ways. You don't need to be the mayor. You can be someone that when you're on your block and you see some trash on the ground, you pick it up. You can be someone that if there's a senior citizen across the street you haven't seen in a while knocking on their door. There are, there are many ways that we can be of service beyond having, having an office. And one of the ways that I think I can be of service is by being here a couple hours a week, being on the radio, having conversations with people, even people who might not always agree with me, um, and, and having conversations that bring people together. You know, th- being of service is what I did when I was in the council, when I worked for Chuck Schumer, when I was a mayor. When I was a mayor, that was a slip. When I was a, a member of Congress. It's the thing I took my greatest pleasure in, being in my office in Kew Gardens and helping local people deal with their concerns, figuring out a way to solve community problems, trying to be present for people was, to me, what public service was about. And that's a little bit about what talk radio is about. It's a little bit about what what 77 WABC tries to do. You know, my Twitter is not lighting up with this conversation that we're having today, but the phone lines are full because people want to engage with one another. They want to engage have a real conversation. They don't always agree with the outcome. They bring their own viewpoints, their own biases to the table. But part of being of service to your neighbor is taking the time to share those things. And that's why I chose this subject today, that I believe we're becoming less and less a, a, a country, less and less a community that feels comfortable engaging their neighbor. You know, they, when, when, when James Madison expressed his concerns about the future of our country, he was concerned that the passions of the moment were going to run away with people, that people were going to just – that we wouldn't be able to govern ourselves because our passions would run too high. We would be too hot-blooded. And so all these checks were put into government, six-year terms for the Senate, long process to bill becoming a law and the like. 
to kind of slow us down. To You know, they call the Senate the cooling saucer of a democracy. Well, now we've reached a point that maybe that those concerns are becoming true, but not because our political systems are failing, but because of our public debate is failing. Because we've gotten so used to the idea of anonymously calling each other names, anonymously saying that I, you know, that that you're a bum, and then and then putting down our phone and waiting to see what happens, that we've lost the ability to have conversations back and forth with one another about the things that are really important. And I hope that you know, radio, terrestrial radio, local radio, community radio, like community newspapers, are going to be our salvation. Are going to be the place that people return to. And so when I say turn off Twitter, I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't believe Elon Musk is going to turn off Twitter. I don't believe that's going to happen. And frankly, I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I, I believe that there are ways that we can improve the way we govern ourselves. But one of those ways is to educate our children about the idea about how conversations used to be engaged in this country and how we can do them again. How we can still have a situation like Curtis and I have where we sit down across the table from one another, coming from different places but really coming from the same place. We come from a city that welcomes people from all around the world, to a country that welcomes people from all around the world, and says, you know what? We sometimes are not going to be happy about the differences that you bring, but we're going to honor them. We're going to treat them as part of the fabric of our country. We're going to have debates. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to run for office. We're going to go to school board meetings. And we're not going to try to shut down the other person. We're going to try to bring them to our side. We're going to sometimes be angry or sad or disappointed at the outcome of an election, but we're not going to throw up our hands and say someone cheated. We're going to get right back at trying to do better the next time. We're going to have conversations like adults. And that's what I think we're dedicated to at 77 WABC Talk Radio. I know that's what I want to do. I know that's what Curtis wants to do. And to all of you that have participated over the last hour and are waiting on hold for the next hour at 800-848-WABC, it's great to have you aboard. This is America, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad you're part of it. We'll see you on the other side. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Boys are back. Oh, I see. Get it? Get it? God. What a brain drain here with our uh, studio staff here behind the scenes. But uh, I have rejoined Anthony Weiner. And I was fascinated to hear that discussion, um, Anthony, you had, especially the caller who had graduated Horace Mann High School, that prestigious high school up there, the Westchester uh, Riverdale border, in which he said, we really shouldn't call this left versus right any longer. It's really more a conversation. So I have to meet with the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, and float it by them. Um, I think uh, left versus right, we'll keep with Chris Hahn on Sundays. I think that's more Yeah, you guys slug each other, don't you, on Sundays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think ours is more of a conversation. Yeah, we need less, we need less violent narrative. But uh, it, yes, or context is a very popular word now. If we can put that in, that, that polls very well. Put it in context. Yeah, yeah. the 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 uh, Saturday afternoon context with Curtis and Anthony. How about that? Well, I heard the uh, discussion you had about uh, Musk and Twitter, and I got to tell you, 
Most people are not. They don't have Twitter. They have no idea what Twitter is. 100%. All this saturation coverage as if uh, the second most powerful man in the world now that Musk will control Twitter. What the hell are you talking about? Look at There's so many other formats that people have. And the average everyday person paying their bills, uh, trying to put their kids through school, paying their taxes, uh, they don't have a Twitter account. Yeah, I but I, I think that's right. It is... You know how Hollywood loves to make movies about Hollywood? Yes. Twitter is a bunch of people in politics and in in in, in media talking to each other. But the difference is, and I try to make this point over the last hour, was it spills now over that no politician wants to run afoul of the Twitter mob. Even if you're not on Twitter, you don't want to get those people all fired up. And to the extremes, they have some – they organize. If they, but, uh, but I agree. Twitter is – and, and my – Twitter account, which has been dormant forever, it's not exactly blowing up right now with this conversation. I think our listeners, if you're listening to talk radio, you're almost the anti-Twitter, right? You're sure. some You want to engage in a conversation. You want to hear it in kind of long form. You want to hear words. You, you want to stick around and hear it while you're doing your business. Um, it's not – I don't think there's – the Venn diagram doesn't have a lot of crossover. Can you imagine if we told the callers, the phone screener said – you are limited in your discussion with Anthony and Curtis to 140 letters. Right, right. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. And yet people, oh, Twitter, oh, Moss, have no idea what they're talking about. Their lives are not impacted by so Twitter. So you, you must have had some grudging respect for Eric Adams' line. I don't believe in social media. I believe in uh, – I no, I don't care about social media. I care about people on social security. That's a pretty good line. Good line. But then again, look – Look at his Twitter. He's posting nonstop. There are trolls. There are bots. I say to myself, I even said to Nancy, who is better at this than uh, me, because I'm a bit of a Luddite. I said, is he a misogynist? Is he a human pinata? Because he puts it up there. You mean a masochist. A masochist, right. He puts it up there. You know, he posts. And then all the trolls are attacking him. There's like nothing positive that's being said. I said, why would you want to be styling and profiling? The the, the trolls are coming out. They're making fun of you. I said, no, no, no. This does not impact most people's lives. This is for the elite, the privileged, the media, Hollywood, the rest of them. And and Musk, he wants to invest $44 billion in a company that only makes now a billion dollars of barely that. When they get rid of all the trolls and the bots, there won't be anybody on Twitter. Yeah, look, it's this all is, a placebo at times. You see, this is the difference. You know, if, if is a well, you know, okay, Bezos, wealthy guy, buys a newspaper. Okay, a newspaper is a real whatever you think of the politics of it. John Catapetini is one of the most one of the most successful businessmen in New York. Gets a radio station that was in the dumps, builds it back up, right. and there's all kinds of civic conversation going on. Right. You and I are here because of that. Buying Twitter, I don't even know. I don't know what that counts as. What he's as it is, he can tweet whatever he wants. Well, actually, he can't because of the consent decree. He actually can't tweet. But he's still tweet. doing. It. Right, he's still doing. It. I agree. I think there's going to be much less. And by the way, this battle of oh, the liberals are concerned and the conservatives had this big victory. I don't think anyone had that big a victory. I don't think anyone cares that much. First of all, Musk is not a conservative. He's not a liberal. He's like a libertarian. He's like a free agent out there. Uh, if you look at his own personal life. Uh, he's a real enigma. But don't 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 all of a sudden bank all of uh, your your belief system in any one hundred percent, especially it's ridiculous, especially a guy like, him. you know, we have this tendency. We we have a sense of who these people are when, when they get to be these big people. 
We have no idea. This guy, he seems a little bit, a little, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, a little bit wacky to me. He's eccentric. He's eccentric, right? When you're, when you got hundreds of you're rich. Six, you're, <laughs> you're, you're called eccentric. In the old neighborhood in Brooklyn, they say, this guy's a wax job. He's crazy. <laughs> exactly. But I, I agree with you. And, and, and arguably, maybe I, I spent too much time on it, but the way it has infected the conversation in this country is just ridiculous. People don't risk saying even the most reasonable, moderate thing because their own party is going to kick their butt. I mean, that's the bottom line. No, no, and, I, I, and so when it comes to governing, you know, those people, there's no premium in stepping out. And yet that's where the people are. The people that listen to our program are not the crazy fringe. They're not on Twitter. I, 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 tell I you, think you're right. I they're not right. on Twitter. And, and by right. the way, they hear all of this. They hear uh, talk show hosts and hosts. Here, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. And they're like, this is like a club <laughs> for the very few. And it's yeah. not going to change anything. And there are other platforms. And if you notice... Donald Trump was supposed to be buried as a result of being banned from Twitter. <laughs> he's not. It's yeah. actually done him well because he's not constantly tweeting morning, noon, and night. Yeah. It's no, almost I, like, wow. I, I, I think that's right. I think he, he personally has benefited from, from a little less exposure over the course of time. But you're right. We make a much ado about it. And you and I are nominally media. media. Are you going to be in a circle tonight? Yes. So we're nominally media people. Talk about People thinking they're really important and having a dinner to celebrate themselves. The inner circle is the height of that. But, you know, we have this notion that Twitter is important. But the problem is if the politicians believe that it is and they start hiding under their desks from controversial issues because of it or believing that giving, you know, shouting something crazy and lighting their hair on fire is the way to govern, then it's a problem. And so I do believe that our, our society, our real town square is getting infected by what's going on. In and also, uh, everybody gives everybody else a litmus test. Right. Uh, if you want us to be with you, you have to agree 100%. That leads us in. To, anyway, something that I thought was so ridiculous to begin with. 59th Street Bridge is the Queensboro Bridge, which then named the Ed Koch Bridge. What bridge, what tunnel, what edifice has three separate names? You say to yourself, all the money and signage, how ridiculous is this? And then all of a sudden, a gay and lesbian club, the Jim Alice Club, right? Yeah. Decide that they're going to give out a questionnaire to everybody. And then all of a sudden, if you don't take their position, your persona non grata, they want Ed Koch's name removed from the 59th Street Bridge. Because they said he did nothing during the AIDS crisis. And I'm scratching my head and saying, is that the biggest problem that we have in New York City now? The naming of bridges, the naming of schools, the naming of buildings. Really? You want, you want to do this? Why not have a plebiscite and an initiative? Let the people decide. How ridiculous. And all the politicians, absolutely, throwing Ed Koch under the bus. All of them used to style and profile, take pictures. Tom DiNapoli, what a sanctimonious hypocrite he is. Oh, yeah. He used to be, hey, Ed, we're friends, we're buddies. With a friend like that, sticking the shit right in his well, back. Well, you know, but you na- we can actually let the listeners in on something. This is a rite of passage when you run for office. Particularly, the higher office, the more questionnaires there are, the more organizations there are. And... I used to take great, great pride in circling questions and writing dumb question. Like, because, you know, you'd have an organization devoted to parks. Will you commit to 7% of the budget for parks? Then you have an organization committing to transportation. Will you commit to 31% of the budget for transportation? Then you have a law enforcement. Will you commit to 51%? Everyone has these demands. You're electing a leader to use their judgment. 
You don't get every answer to every question walking in the door. You just want to know that they're going to use judgment. But what 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 now the public is learning through this story is that there are a lot of people who don't take these questionnaires very seriously. They have their staff go ahead and, fi- and fill it out. And then there are people who just contort themselves to be all things to all people. And I don't know. I you know those are some good elected officials and some people who I know I consider them friends who who agree to this. Taking Ed Koch's name off of the bridge is a dumb idea. Putting aside, is it a high priority? Okay, even if it's not, even if it's the 12th priority of the organization, I cannot believe we have reached the point that so many problems have been solved that a local Democratic club believes that this is an important enough one to put the, the to put their elected officials on, on the horns about. At a certain point, I just wish my colleagues would just look at these questionnaires and say, this is an important issue. I'm going to answer this question. This is a dumb question. I'm not, not even going to answer Absolutely. It. I, I give an example. This same uh, gay and lesbian club, it's been around for years. Uh, there were Democratic candidates at the time. The only gay candidate running for in the Democratic primary was this brigadier general, a female, who had served in the de Blasio administration. Laura Sutton. Right, Laura Sutton. Really good candidate. She had gotten married. Gay Pride Day in the parade, the middle of the parade. The only candidate who was gay and lesbian, at least acknowledged, and because she said you should have a permit for a parade, a permit. And so oh, well, we're not even going to interview you. <laughs> How I, ridiculous I is that. that? Well, I used to say when I would tell my my colleagues in Washington, you know, a little bit about my district and about my city. I used to say in New York City, they're for mandatory gay marriage. Like, it, it, <laughs> but it, it is it's true. But some of these organizations, they're doing what they're supposed to. They're advocating for their cause. But it's the politician's job to read a questionnaire carefully, to think it through. And if it's a stupid question, just answer no or say I'm not going to answer that one. But I don't believe that if you lined up those members of Congress, with maybe a couple of exceptions, and said, do you really think we should take Ed Koch's name off the bridge? Or we shouldn't honor Ed Koch by having his name on the bridge. I mean, there are some people like Peter Vallone Jr. had a had a philosophical position. He wanted Queens on a bridge. He wanted the na- the word Queens, and I respect that. I uh, that's a fair position to have. Um, but I I believe Ed Koch was one of our one of our greatest mayors. He was a guy with lots of flaws. He was not a perfect guy. He was not a perfect administration. He was not have perfect policies. But I think we, should, we uh, honoring him with that bridge is appropriate. Yeah, but you know it's amazing because when he was mayor, it was always the rumors. Oh, Ed Koch is gay. Uh, I remember his um, uh, one of his deputy mayors, Herb Rickman, who I was working with in a cleanup campaign around Times Square. Uh, this is before I started the Guardian Angels. It was thought that Herb Rickman may have been his lover. There were always these allegations. So how is it a gay and lesbian club denounces probably one of the most prominent gay people ever to exist politically, who also, I might add, had to stand up. When Mario Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo launched a campaign in the runoff for the mayoral election, vote for Cuomo, not the homo. They've admitted that. That was horrible. And yet he was able to put it all back together, not leave as many candidates would have at that point, and actually beat the Queen's Democratic machine, Mario Cuomo, and his campaign manager at that time, young 23-year-old Andrew Cuomo. 1977, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know where the sexual orientation stuff comes comes into this i do know he had a tense relationship with a lot of uh, aids activists but you know and i don't claim to be an expert on the period and i don't even think it's all that unfair for an organization who really believes it and to take that position i do have a problem with the politicians 
who took this questionnaire, Carolyn Maloney, I said, so Jeffries, I mean, people who are smart people who either didn't have the care enough to read it carefully or was just checking yes, yes, well, yes. Well, how, about, how about up in Westchester and Rockland? You have Lawler, who is the assemblyman trying to lead an effort to rename the Mario Cuomo Bridge, which, remember, that came about overnight in a budget bill that none of the members ever got a chance to discuss up in Albany. It's basically, if you want the budget, you have to agree that the Tappan Zee Bridge now becomes the Mario Cuomo Bridge. There's a lot of resistance to that in both Rockland County and Westchester. Have a plebiscite. Have a referendum. Let the people decide. Nah, I'm not a plebiscite guy. Let let govern. Let govern. Oh elect people to govern, and then let them do it. This is why I was so. I'm so to this day down on Bloomberg. Is in the very rare case that you do let people vote on an issue, you better darn well respect it. You, you can't. And and he overturned term limits despite the fact that the public voted for it. But I don't believe in doing plebiscite. You don't. You know, we are not. We are not. We are a republic. We elect people to go represent us, and then if we don't like what they've done, we can recall them. Unfortunately, as you know, in Albany, uh, if you happen to control the assembly, if you're the speaker, you and you alone will allow anything out onto the floor. That's that's true. Likewise in the state Senate. Republicans did that when they were in charge. Democrats have done that. I'm a firm believer in plebiscite and referendum. And notice they're partying in New Jersey as we speak because they had the plebiscite referendum, 420, puff, puff, pass, 60, 40. That's why they have well, take legalized a look at, recreational marijuana. Well, on the other marijuana. side, look at California. California gets a phone book every year. Yes. For, and it's chaos. And it, Arizona, chaos. too. And look, and I, and I, I just talked about, about the challenge of people, you know, you know the, the passions of the people governing Plebiscites just make that all the time. If you don't like the, a law that is passed, vote your guy out. Run against him if you but like. Andy, uh, you know there are a lot of races that people don't get involved with, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, or independents. But when you have an issue like legal marijuana and you have forums and debates, people are passionate about both. It shouldn't be. They should. It stimulates people to come out and vote and get involved in the process. Whereas if it's just simply an up-and-down vote for candidates – you see, the turnouts have been dismal yeah, but other that, than the presidential campaign. But it hasn't campaign. worked out that way. Look at California again as an example. Every referenda becomes just who's got the money on what side to run thousands of TV commercials. This whole idea that people are out there on their soapbox convincing their neighbors of something, that's not the way it works out. Generally, referenda are used in California to bypass the legislature because the legislature has been expressing the will of their constituents. Yes, it's not a perfect system, but it is the system that generally works in, in terms of – you can say that people don't vote enough, but that's not a problem with the system. That's the problem with the people not voting. No, no, no. That's a problem of the parties. They create their own little private thing, this little thing of ours, where they claim they want to, people to come out and vote, and they do everything to discourage them. Look at New I, York. I don't know that they do everything to discourage well, we'll, them. We'll, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss, uh, discuss this later on because, unfortunately, a lot of our colleagues, both Democrats, Republicans, and independents, are going to have to go out and schlep out and collect more signatures in order to run for an office that they already spent their capital, their resource, their time and energy to get signatures necessary in New York State to run that you don't have to do in almost any other state any longer. And, it's crazy. And that is made even worse this year because redistricting has been overturned by the courts. And for those of you who fell asleep during the word redistricting, don't worry. This is pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. Would have affected you when you ran for Congress. For sure. Maybe you can explain this as you're only here with Curtis Sliwa. And Anthony Weiner, we have to discuss what the suits and name change because it's really not left versus right, as that caller from uh, graduate of Horace Mann discussed. 
It really is a discussion about the issues of the day and taking into effect everything that's transpiring at the number one news talk station in the nation, WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Hmm. Who is this, Anthony? Bob Moe, former lead singer of Husker Du. Definitely drop it from my playlist, <laughs> that's for sure. He's never tried to sneak this one in, yeah. But anyway, Anthony, uh, this is your sweet spot. An announcement was made uh, towards the end of the week. All of a sudden, oh my God, you got to go back to scratch all these elections. A lot of people are listening to that. They say, what, what, what the hell is going on? Over redistricting. So since you ran for a multiple uh, number of uh, offices, what specifically is happening that's going to impact this this coming vote? Well, we devoted a little bit of, of a show a couple of weeks ago before you came in. I had uh, John Fasso in to talk about it. He predicted exactly what wound up happening. You, by the way, can get um, podcast version of our show at WABCradio.com and also on any of your podcast networks. So every 10 years... We do a census. The primary reason that's a constitutional requirement is we have to make sure that everyone is represented one person, one vote, meaning every congressional district has to be the same size. So that's the easy part. The hard part is, well, what should the lines of those districts be? And so they're drawn not only for the assembly, for the uh, House of Representatives, but also for the state Senate, for state legislatures. The drawing of the lines then lasts 10 years. So it's a super important thing. A politician can have a district that is very favorable to their party or very or very much opposed to their party based on the registration. Uh, you know, the outcome obviously isn't predetermined, but if you have 80 percent of the district is registered Republicans, that's a good district. So every 10 years, this is a very political process. It gets done by the legislature. But in 2014, the citizens, using your method, a plebiscite, a referendum that changed the Constitution, said – no more gerrymandering, and gerrymandering is a, a fancy word named after a Massachusetts politician from years ago that basically says don't draw districts to benefit people politically. Draw them to keep communities together where they make sense. Well, the, the, the Democrats, by just about any calculation here, ignored that advice, which was more than advice the court said. It was in the law. You violated the law. So the districts that you drew that heavily benefited Democrats, which I would have liked on a partisan level – they threw out those lines because the Republicans challenged them and said these are not fair. So now we're back to, well, what does this mean? What it means is that all these candidates who said, all right, this is the district. I live in the district. I'm going to start getting support in the district by gathering signatures. You alluded to it on petitions and filing them. Now they're back to square one in the Senate and the, the House of Representatives. The assembly they let lines they let stand. And so what does this mean? Well, the first thing it means is that the idea of a June primary is probably out the window. There's not enough time. We, as, as we're sitting here in the beginning of May, don't have lines. We don't even know what lines are going to be. For average citizens, this means more than you might think because if you're at the, the tail of one district or the center of another district or you're in the majority party's district or the minority party, this could mean you have the difference between – uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Carolyn Maloney or um, whoever replaces Tom Suozzi or you might have Grace Meng. You could be in, the, in that same area. So this process is going to start again. 
I have to say, I think the court, you know, it was a Democratic court that that basically supported the Republican position. So I think they probably got it right. Oh, yeah. And remember, it happened in North Carolina, too, where the Republicans were in charge. But it happened early on. Why did it take so long here? Like, for instance, the Democrats went into North Carolina early uh, and got the courts to rule that the Republicans who were in the majority gerrymandered. And this goes back and forth. Yeah, but we've had challenges in 18, 19, I think 19 states. It goes on every 10 years. There's lots of challenges. The clock is the clock. So now you can say what the Democrats should have done is had a map in their back pocket in case theirs got struck down. But they had to go through this process that they set up. They set up a, non- a nonpartisan district commission, ignored what they did, then had to go back into the legislature, draw their own districts, and be. And now the court system is following well, the court system. The most egregious, when you looked at the congressional lines, was definitely the Swazi district. And you know, because they have to go back to the drawing board, Swazi, who is so far behind in the polls against Hochul, you know, he could opt out and run for his district now. Realizing, hey, I've raised all this money, I've raised my profile, I'm doing nothing in the polls, I'm in single digits. Uh, now that they're redrawing the lines, I could start it all over again and say, oof, they're running for governor, i got no shot. Hochul's going to take the Democratic primary against Jumani Williams and run for Congress. I mean, it's, that's a possibility. It's an interesting question, right. He'd have to turn down, yes, he, it, can be, it can be done. Yeah, if I were but, him, but, I'd do but, that. Yes, but... <laughs> got no shot for Governor Swazi. But, but I don't know, if you're a Hoka right now, are you feeling like you're sitting pretty? Well, amongst Democrats, uh, she's going to win. She's doing well. I, I don't think, you know, look, uh, I, the, we still have some time here, but, but putting aside that, the problem is, okay, let's assume you're, you're Swazi. Let's assume you're any of the elected officials. Let's assume you're a challenger. It's raised a bunch of money based on a certain district yeah. line. This all gets thrown back, and we don't know what the districts would be, especially if it's a special master, and that's just a fancy word of saying a nonpartisan person that comes in and does it. If I were they, I the first thing I would do if I was a special master is go to the nonpartisan district commission, look at their map, see what they came up with, sure. and see if there's anything he can just, just yeah, adopt. Hopefully it's not a Rorschach test. perfect example is uh, Nicole Maliotakis. Right. I was with her on Monday because we're starting Guardian Angel Patrols in Bay Ridge and Diker Heights. That's in her district. Really major crime problems. Never had them before. And I said to her, I said, you know, I tried to campaign in the new district you have. They added on Park Slope, Gowanus. Try to find a Republican there. That's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sunset Park. The Asians, yes. The rest of them, no. You say to yourself, if in fact those lines had remained, Max Rose, who wants a seat back, uh, would have to be the odds-on favorite to have won that new district because of all the new Democrats who were put in there and the Republicans taken out. Now, if it goes back to originally look like what it was when Nicole Maliotakis won against Max Rose, I think she she keeps that district. Well, it, it's it's unclear. It, that district was gerrymandered, no doubt about it, to get a Democratic representative, and they had a it was a tortured way to do it because, as you know, that area well, the Brooklyn side is still pretty conservative and yeah. pretty Republican on yeah. the Brooklyn side of that district, and then you have about six hundred, seven hundred thousand, no, maybe not that many, five hundred fifty thousand people on Staten Island. But let's let's by the way, let's not be too righteous, you Republicans. The Republicans have been doing gerrymandering all across the country wherever they have oh, legislatures, no in Texas oh, no. and in Florida and, and, and every place else. They're doing it in Florida right now. What was oddly going to happen, though, if the New York line stood, something would have happened that hasn't happened in a very long time. And that is the representation in Congress would have matched 
the number of seat, Democrat, Republican leaning seats in the country in, as a whole. It's a long way of saying that the districts are getting back to closer being what represents the country at, at large. But the, in order for the Democrats who have any sliver of a chance to hold on to the House, this gerrymander had to work for them. And it it's now been thrown out. So I think their last gasp of holding on to the House went with that with that judgment. My perception is when you look uh, at it nationally, all the congressional races, because they're up every two years, as you had to keep running for your congressional uh, district. You had some runs against uh, Bob Turner out there to maintain right. your seat. Uh, you had some other runs, but it was every two years. You win election and you, you're running for re-election again. My perception is that 80% of the congressional races are determined in the primary. It's really the primary and it's been so marginalized now that it is very difficult for the insurgent to win a congressional seat because oh. of gerrymandering, because of the way the lines are drawn. Well, wait a minute. An insurgent within their own party. Right. No, it's the other way around. I mean, now it's going to be more difficult for the other party to flip a seat has become very difficult from Democrats. My to mistake. Republicans. Correct. But you this is the problem. And I talked I alluded to it briefly in the conversation earlier about the extremism that goes on in this country right now. If you are a Republican. You are concerned about a Marjorie Taylor, whatever, what's her name, from the right kind Green, of candidate. Green, right. If you are a Democrat, you are concerned. Look, look at Carolyn Maloney here in Manhattan. I think the district we're sitting in. Yeah. Okay. Her, she's been around for a long time, basically did everything right, voted every liberal cause. Every, she was an activist. She, she, she was the sponsor of the ERA. I mean, I have some personal issues with her, but putting that aside. You know, she had a run for her money last time from someone to her left, basically saying, you're not enough. You're not enough of, of what we want. That's problematic, I think, because it means that when, the, when those, those races, those people then are – those types of candidates are the ones that you need to step to the middle and reach across the aisle. They have no incentive to do that anymore. And slowly I turn step by step. You mentioned Carolyn Maloney, who has won two primaries very close against Patel. And now there's a DSA candidate who wants to knock out Patel. But has she been asked about the Ed Koch bridge? Because I believe she served in city council when Ed Koch was the mayor. She, I think, took his seat. Is that right? Didn't he have the silk stocking? Yes. Anyway. Well, then she had it before I that. I saw her name in the story. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up oh, now. That, now, that I'll, would be a double disgraziata, a double I'll, shanda. I know. If she it, it would, would. If she would say... That that should not be the Ed Koch bridge But what does longer. that tell you about the politics today, that she feels the need to do that, to fight to get this? this I, I don't know. It's I, I would hope that's After not the case. After all this seniority, she's the chairwoman of one of the major committees on the Hill. She's built up. She's banked all of this cred that she's had. And yet she feels she has to cave to the woke crowd? I don't imagine. I imagine it's what happened, what I suggested, that someone just filled out the question or checked every yes box just to get it out of their hair. But um, but that would be, that would have some, that would, that I think if, if, if Mayor Koch would come back and, uh, and visit the situation, he'd be particularly chagrined oh about her. God, especially her. Yeah. Especially her. I think that's right. But look, if, if I had my druthers, and by the way, you mentioned Bob Turner, great guy. You know, when I talk about my district... I remind people that when I left, when I had to resign, it was a Republican that won the seat when I left. It's a pretty conservative district. Because of Ed Koch supporting Turner that, against that, Weprin. That, well, I, I think that that's true. That, that, that was – that did hurt. But anyway, getting, I always said that if every state lived up to it, I would be fine with a, with a whole bunch of square districts. I think we'd all be better congressmen. 
if we all had a little bit, whatever was in that, take it where it may. I had, I had a little bit of public housing in my district. I'm glad I did. I, you know, I'm glad I did. I learned a lot because I had, a, you know, I had, I had the Rockaways. I had liberal areas. I had conservative areas. I had Orthodox Jews. I had, you know, as you say, I had a very diverse district. I had liberal Orthodox yeah, and yeah. Uh, I had conservative Orthodox and, 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 and reform. But I, right now, if, if other states are going to gerrymander for Republicans, I want ours to gerrymander for Democrats. But unfortunately, they went too far and violated the will of the people that they expressed in their referendum. And, you know, when I was walking around your district when you were running against Turner, I saw these big billboards, Turner, Turner, Turner. I thought, wow, this guy's coming up fast. Remember, he had been producer of the Rush Limbaugh show Correct. on TV, mm-hmm. Jerry Springer. He had a lot of money. Turned out all those Turner billboards were Turner Construction. Yeah. But, but it had to help him. But it's it's funny. My first race for office was <laughs> my first race for office for city council. I didn't have any money for polling or anything. And I rallied all of my friends, all my hockey buddies, anyone I could to come. And um, we brought him to a pizzeria to take a break during campaigning. And they're like, Anthony, you're going to lose. What, what? What? You saw Mike Garson? I said, no, no. You saw Del Cohen? No, no. And then he unfolds. It was a placemat from the pizzeria for Jerry Bazonia. I don't expect you to know the name. Anyway, they're like, he's got placemats at every pizzeria. I'm like, this guy spent his money on placemats at pizzeria? He came in fifth or sixth. It didn't matter. But it's just like sometimes like you see these signs around, you get really freaked out, or you see a placemat, or you see a, 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 a street sign. As Chuck Schumer used to tell me, street signs don't Look, vote. One thing I learned, Anthony Weiner, I know a lot of politicians, Democrats and Republicans, all of them are neurotic. All you got to do is put up one poster <laughs> on their block. And then all of a sudden, what's going on? That's oh, my so block. true. Or, so true. Or, or have a coffee, you know, in somebody's house. Hey, a little fundraiser, just five people. So, so what's true. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, you have all your troops, your resources here. Trust me. That is an astute observation. That is yes. very true. Oh, I've seen The words them. of an insurgent talking. Anyway, <laughs> up next, talking about losers. Well, the New York Mets, no hitter. Second time in your history. But very unique. This was a strange one. Very unique. Exclusive here. The Anthony Weiner, tried and true Met fan, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. Uh, I think they're trying to wean me over. <laughs> yeah, knock yourself out here right on WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and meet the Mets. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. Guaranteed to have a time in your life because the Mets are really sucking that ball. Hitting those home runs over the wall. It's the second, the second stanza is hard. Uh, Anthony, you should relegate all your singing to the shower. I tell you. You are not in chorus. We you have know, been, we chorus. Met fans haven't been singing much the last few seasons, but we are at least for today. Oh, yeah. Now, a number of things that have been occurring that are bigger than just baseball. Uh, so I'm ready to do the show overnights that I do uh, early Saturday mornings, 12 to 6, and then Sundays, 12 to 6. And the Mets have accomplished something that is rarely accomplished in Major League Baseball, American or National League, a no-hitter. So Bob Brown is clearly a Met fan. He's our uh, senior news director here. 
And he's like all for touch. He's jumping up and down. No hitter. I said, okay, who pitched? The Curtis said, well, five med pitches. I said, what are you talking about, five med pitches? He said, close to 160 pitches. I said, against the Phillies, that's a good hitting team. Bad defense, but they're a good hitting team. And so then I do the analytics. And five different pitches. So that means Showalter was like going out there every five seconds. Boom, boom, bringing in a specialist out of the bullpen. And then I figured, you know, he brings in Edwin Diaz, who was like, you never know. He's no Mariano Rivera. You never know what Edwin Diaz. He strikes out the side, ninth inning. Good, yeah. good hit is Bryce Harper. They didn't even touch it. And people are going crazy on the field at City Field. It's probably the most unique no hitter, I think, ever pitched five separate pitches well, in nine I, innings. You know, right. As I said in the last hour, you know, if you said the Mets had a no hitter this season, I would not be surprised. You know, Scherzer, you know, DeGrom, these are two of the best pitchers, I mean, in all of baseball. Our bullpen is not exactly our strong suit, and it was a bullpen that, that carried it. Yeah, it was great. And you're right, the Phillies, I think they're the third most runs in the league this year. They, they're not a great team top to bottom, but they're hitting well. Uh, yep, it is great. There is something going on, and, and I know. I mean, look, you, you're you know you can be a manager for a crummy team, and everyone says you're crummy. The Bucks got them hitting. It's got them. They got them. You know, got pitches coming up at their heads every inning, but they're 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 doing well, and this is great. Now, I understand. I understand that you also made your way into a recent New York Mets broadcast. You're not even a Mets guy. No, no, I hate. The but Mets. you are on. You are on the lips of of. Cohen all the time. Yes, Gary Cohen. Gary Cohen. And uh, it has to do with the fact that the Cleveland Indians changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians, not the Cleveland Guardian Angels. They play at Progress, uh, Progressive Field, which I've seen in Cleveland. I love that field. I have Guardian Angels there. And actually the Angels from California. So they, for the second time in the booth, I'm sure to the angst of a lot of Mets fans, who said, this guy hates the Mets! Uh, not to be confused with the Cleveland Guardians of 2022. By the way, you know what started last night. Yes. The first ever Curtis Slewa series, the Guardian Angels series. The Guardian Angels, that's too good. No, not the madness. Angels beat the Guardians last night 3 nothing behind Michael Lorenzen. Swing and a miss, and Escobar down on strikes. Whitgren. Now, this is what I'm going to do for you as a Met fan. Because you mentioned briefly the beanball wars, and I hate beanballs. In fact, I was in Yankee Stadium. This is midseason, a subway series, when Roger Clemens, who I hated, I despised, all roided up, threw at Mike Piazza's head. Hit him. Mike Piazza did not respond. This is in Yankee Stadium. I'm like, hey, man, Italian stallion, take him out. I hate Roger Clemens. You know why I hate him. Anybody who ever played for the Red Sox before or after, after the Yankees, I hate, because I hate the Red Sox as much as I hate the Mets. But I really fell for Piazza there. Then we get into the World Series, right? I was there. Does it again. Broken bat. You know, Piazza throws it out towards uh, Roger Clemens. Beanball Wars. To me, you're a punk. You're a coward when you throw at somebody's head, because you can really do a lot of damage. And there's some pitchers there, they can't wait to throw at your head, and some managers who goose you and tell you, throw at their head. And why are they picking Mr. Polar Bear, Pete Alonso? It just seemed like he's a human pinata now. 
hit him in the head. The Cardinals hit him in the head and busted his helmet. Yeah, something. I, look, I'm, I'm of two minds to this. On one hand, these pitchers are being asked to pitch so finely. And I think that if you look at the, at the, at the situation in the game, you can determine whether or not it was a real throw. I mean, there were a couple of these situations that did not seem to me that anyone would be throwing at someone in that situation. It just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. Now, I, I also, I, I saw this reference and then it just disappeared. Like it's the baseballs. You know, I don't know who, who it was on the Mets that said maybe it's the baseballs that are doing it. Whatever it is, I just think it was circumstance. I think it was the cold weather. I think it was the the the, the Mets when they're hitting the way they are. Pitchers are trying to get advantages, uh, and, and but I can tell you, you can level someone with a thrown pitch of ninety five miles. Yeah, an hour. it's retaliatory. It's basically you know that's it's, that's like getting hit it, with a cannon. It's to me cowardly. You should be suspended immediately. That's it. Dock and pay. Really make an example out of him because just because somebody just hit a home run, which is difficult to do. Look, hitting is down. Home runs are down in the major league. All of a sudden, somebody gets actually lucky. They close their eyes. They hit a home run. You're going to knock down the next the next time you see him or knock down the next no, hitter? No, but you, on the other hand, I mean, pitchers have a right to push back on batters that are crowding the plate, that are batters that are taking advantage of the strike zones of certain umpires. By the way, the umpire has been terrible this year. But I, I, I feel you. I don't think anyone believes that it should be a part of every game. There are times that you, you know, you send a this, little chin music. A little chin music. This is what I'm going to do for you and the Met fans out there. Since Gary Cohen and Ron uh, Darling have been so nice to me twice now, I'm going to show up in May. The Cardinals are coming back to City Field because this recent uh, beanball war was out there at Bush right. Stadium. Mm hmm. I am bringing my red baseball bat. I have a customized red baseball bat that was made for me by the Louisville Slugger Company in Louisville. I went there one time and, and actually brought stickball to Louisville. And Pee Wee Reese was there. It was a great, great day. And I'm going to bring that red bat with my red sateen jacket and my red beret. And I'm going to sit in the Met dugout. And if they try to bean Polar Bear, Pete Alonso, or any man, I'm going to go running out in the field. I'm going to kneecap that pitcher, Okay. Better me than one of your players, right? Curtis, I've seen some of your recent MRIs, some of your recent X-rays. Maybe leave that to someone else. Maybe that you should do your your duels with your with your with your. But think about it. I yes. have the red, the cardinal red, red, I know. red, red, uh, I, red bat. <laughs> People are going to think I'm a Cardinals fan, right? And I just I, kneecap them. Okay. This way, I will, this way, I, I, I buy some. Uh, uh, what can we call this? I buy some goodwill with my will. I will. I will be there to hold you back. <laughs> I will be there to hold you back. <laughs> but it is interesting because the baseball season, obviously, Met Yankees doing well, Mets doing well. It infects yep. a city that still needs to rebound. So this is all good. Unfortunately for Major League Baseball, though, the hitting is down, the home runs are down, the pitches are still dominating. And I don't think ultimately this is good for the game of baseball, not the game of baseball that you and I grew up loving. Yeah, this is, we're getting, I mean, it's getting like another dead ball era here. Yeah, it's problematic. There was a lot of focus on speeding up the game in the, in the agreement with the players that averted the strike, but, um, that, that ended the lockout rather, but, I think this is a bigger problem. There's just not enough action. There's not enough, no, there's no, not look, enough look, happening. You're in the on deck circle. They got to play your music. You come out, you take your gloves on, you take them off, you, you grab your jock strap, uh, you take a few swings, you, you bat the dirt out of your, your cleats. 
It's like get in the damn batter's box and swing. I agree. And the pitchers aren't much better. The pitchers have their rituals they got to go through. Now they, they, they have the way to communicate with that should make it quicker. I I think the whole game should be moved along and quicker. They I mean, they don't have to stick them any longer. That's true yeah, too. Stick them, you know. That's oh, true we, too. we needed to grip the ball. No, no, you want more rotation on the ball yeah. to have even more of an advantage. I, I they they should have. I mean, uh, Cole Cole should have given back half his salary when they changed that uh, the enforcement. Uh, look, where did he come from? Right, Houston Astros cheaters. But anyway, let's, <laughs> not, let's, not that not that you're holding a, a grudge. I hate him. I hate Cole. But anyway, let's move in a different direction. You asked the question. About buses. Yeah, so here's my situation. So I got on a bus today, dropped off Jordan at his play date, and I got on a bus on 3rd Avenue. Normally I would get on the 1st Avenue, the M15. Uh, yeah, uh, what's the 1st Avenue? Yeah, the M15. And this time I was on 3rd Avenue, so I got on the limited 101 bus mm. up 3rd Avenue. And when I got on, I wasn't 100% sure. I asked the bus driver, I said, where does the stop? He said 50th. I said, perfect. But I started to re- to think about it. What is the difference between the three different kinds of buses? The express bus, the limited bus, and the select bus? Well, the express bus, you're paying a lot more money, that's for sure. Uh, and you're usually in an outer borough. You could be in Pelham Parkway. You could be out uh, all the way in in, in uh, Mid-Island, Staten Island. And then it goes right somewhere in Manhattan, makes a few stops. Mostly if you want to come into the city, you're working, you want to shop. And those are the ones that are more like coaches. They're more like yeah, coach yeah, buses. Yeah, yeah. You're paying some coin to come in right. and out. And you normally, it's like especially rush hour, you have the express lanes. Right. So it's just like one line of these express buses. Limited uh, means that they're only taking the major stops along that particular route. So they're not stopping at every stop. And then you had mentioned, uh, if I remember the correctly, select bus. select bus service. I actually saw the first one. It started outside the McDonald's that I was a manager of. I was visiting that McDonald's this years later, I think about 2008. And they have one lane, and they go all the way through, and they got cameras and don't dare cut into that lane. This speeds it up. So this one went all the way from Fordham Road to uh, Pelham Parkway, and it actually sped up. Uh, Highland Boulevard has that same thing. So it's like one lane. You better not swerve in there. The cameras click, click, click. You get a big fine. And it actually speeds up traffic. So that's why you would call that a select bus service. Well, so you, I'm going to give you an A- minus on your description. The only thing that you left out, and I'm reading from the MTA website, a couple of people sent it to me, is that the select bus is blue. They're the bright blue yes, ones. Blue and uh, what is it? And gold? you're theoretically supposed to pay before you board. You get a little receipt yes. for payment. But now that they have to pay with your phone, you don't have to do that either. In fact, you know, I I have heard there's a lot of fare evasion going on on the buses. You might have the statistics 30, on it. Thirty three percent. That is a lot. And part of it is probably going on when I get on the select bus. Now that you can just tap your phone, yes. it used to be every once in a while a state. MTA police guy would hop on and say, let me see your receipt to show that you actually paid the fare. Now there's none of that because you can pay with your phone and you don't get a receipt. And I bet you there's a lot of fare evasion. Oh. But 33% is amazing. 33% That's a- in the buses, uh, 12% in the subways. When we had Andy Byford here, remember Cuomo hated him. Andy, Randy Andy from uh, London, from, from the London, London Underground exactly. uh, Transit System. Uh, he was loved by uh, the TWU workers. He was always in the trains. I had a beef with him. I, I went to a Holy Family School. They had a huge uh, town hall meeting. Uh, Jeffries, the congressman, uh, was uh-huh. there. Uh, and then Andy Byford was talking, so the people wanted me to speak. And I said, you know, Andy, you're nothing, you're nothing but a wanker. 
You're nothing but a white. He was tall. Oh, my. Nobody in the crowd knew what the hell I was talking about because I was citing him. And then he said, Curtis, you know what I've implemented? The Crack Eagle Squad. You're going to see them in all the crosstown buses. If you don't, if you didn't pay your fare, you don't have your receipt, we're writing you up. And I saw the Eagle team out there. Now you see nothing. You see Bupkis. You, you don't see, see that. You, you, you don't see those. There aren't, there's not enforcement. I am surprised, though. Um, I'm surprised at that. Uh, I'm surprised the honor system, which basically it is when you get in the back of the bus, it's the honor system. I'm surprised that there's that much evasion. Can I, uh, can I go over to London? I've got an angel. I'll apologize to Andy Byford and beg him to come. I'll back. come with you to London. Because? I'll come with you. Oh, they need him desperately here. The the crew that they have, they, they can't even get the cameras, the surveillance cameras to work. Uh, our mayor's talking about putting in uh, metal detectors. It's like, are you out of your mind? Bring back Andy Byford. I apologize, Andy. You're not a blankety blank blank blank. <laughs> anyway, up next, we got to talk about the disinformation governance board. You got to explain to me what got, the hell yeah, hold is on. that? I got to go to the library get Orwell. Is there any Orwellian books there? What is that? It's not as bad as it sounds. I'm telling you, doesn't sound good to me. Anthony. That that is true. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Hmm. Pensacola, Florida. Danger zone. Tom Cruise, am I right? I got that right. What's up with the bubblegum music here, huh? I don't know. Anthony, I don't. This doesn't strike me. Seems as... Seems like they're mailing it in back there. Does not strike me as your kind of music here. No. By the way, before he has a hissy fit, and he will, Frank Morano, you know, the other side of midnight, uh, right after our show, as we depart, uh, he has the best of the other side of midnight. Even though it's not at midnight, it's from uh, four to five. And I got to tell you, he went on a tirade the other early morning about how we wouldn't mention it. Anthony, I'm saying to myself, with all the stuff we have to do, and this is like, so if you notice, I wrote it right at the top of the list. Mention the other side of midnight, the best of following Wiener and Sliwa. I I think I dotted the eye across the T. No, that's true. And by the way, I I, I ran into Frank. There was uh, our our mutual friend, Arthur Idala, had an event at Ella Beast Mamoni Gardens the other day. He actually broadcasted his radio show from there, ran into Frank. I got to tell you, it's kind of like traveling around with Elvis. Frank is getting to be a pretty big deal. He's a pretty big deal. He's muscling me out. He's going to be, you know, you see the ratings on his show, and he's not wearing any special colored hats. He's like doing it just on the force of his personality. Um, and he did whisper a little something to me about you a little bit benefiting from his leadership during the week on the other side yeah, of midnight. This is what he tells everybody. And uh, I, of course, defended you. I, Thank I you. said that that's not that that is not true. But he's doing quite a remarkable job. But I got to say, Curtis, you are pumping up the other side of midnight ratings with your two nights that you're doing. Yeah, but it's not good enough because I have a feeling when we all show up. For the opening uh, night season of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, John and Margot Katsimatidis uh, now own the Ferry Hawks. They revive baseball on the north shore of Staten Island. I'm taking the ferry over with uh, Nancy. Sure. Um, I thought I was going to be throwing out the first pitch. Huh. Think again. Uh, Staten Island's 
Frankie Five Burrows. Oh, no kidding. Uh, That's appara- great. Uh, apparently, he lobbied for this. And I'm going to be on the outside looking at He's Staten Island's own. By the way, what they f- said to me, I could be the bat boy. The bat boy <laughs> for volu- the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. You've got your red bat. By the way, I have not gone on to Wikipedia. What does a ferry hawk look like? That is the biggest question uh, that is exists it, out there. Is it now? Is a ferry hawk a hawk that travels via ferry, or is a ferry is a hawk that ferries something else, another creature on its back? Well, you know, when it's cold, which sometimes it is, taking that Staten Island ferry in the winter, and you say the hawk is talking. Maybe that's its origin. I don't know, but I I will tell you this: uh, I will be the bat boy for opening night. Uh, also, by the way, people need to come out on Tuesday. Uh, John has signed up a female, I mean, all-world pitcher yeah, from you Southern California. This. You mentioned I, I'm going to bring Jordan to a game. I think Jordan, I think I brought Jordan to a game back in the old, with the old Staten Island Yankees days. But I, um, we'll, we'll that, definitely that was, be there. That was sterile. I mean, great view. You see, uh, you see Manhattan in the distance. You see the bay. You see the Statue of Liberty. You see Ellis Island. You see uh, uh, everything in the harbor. Yeah, but it was sterile at it that didn't, time. It didn't it's not going to be sterile now. It. By the way, did I tell you they once invited me to throw out the first pitch? I think it was in 2005 when I was running for mayor, and I did very well on Staten. I love the people of the Rock. And as I'm walking out, there, Anthony Weiner, and in honor of Italian American Day here at, and I'm walking out I'm like. Oh, they think I'm Italian, and, I'm, and, and I didn't know what to do. I'm like halfway to the mound. I just, all right, I'm not going to correct them, but I guess to make an announcement yeah, later yeah, or something. Well, buy some more. You should yeah, have said, what a fortuna, percende <laughs> exactly. Oh, they would have gone nuts Tony. for you. Well, remember, that's Staten Italy out there. I love it. I love it. It's so great. It's so great. Oh, I've been, it's I've not good been family fun. You're not going to have to take a reverse mortgage like Minor when you go to State Field, the Yankee Stadium. It's a great, great American. Like, that's the true American thing. It's like... You know, you got the cotton candy. That I don't know. I, I don't know what John has planned. Whether they're going to have that crazy stuff do, between innings like they do at minor league oh, ballparks. Trust me, you it's know. It's going to be. You know, John. He's the ultimate showman. Yeah. He's pulled out all the stops with his uh, wife Margot. You don't want to miss it. Opening night, Staten Island Ferry Hawks. We'll all be there. I'll be the bat boy. Apparently, Frankie Five Burrows. Uh, has been chosen to As the first pitch. Maybe, maybe he'll, he'll sing a little for us. Maybe he'll sing, sing the national anthem no, for please us. don't sing the Met theme again, Anthony. Save it for the bring showers. Bring the kiddies, bring the wife. Oh, God. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Oh, God. Once oh. again, great to have you on Left versus Right, Curtis. You're an inspiration to us all. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony.